Existential Time and Historicity in Interaction Design by Frederick van Amstel and Rodrigo Freze Gonzato. Published online by Human Computer Interaction Journal, 16th of November 2021. Introduction Time is considering a defining factor for interaction design, yet little is known about its history in this field. The history of time is nonlinear and uneven, understood as part of each society's cultural development. As experienced by humans, time is socially constructed, using the available concepts, measurement devices, and technology in a specific culture. Since each human culture produces its own history, there are also multiple courses of time. The absolute chronological and standardized clock time is just one of them, yet one often imposed on other cultures through colonialism, imperialism, globalization, and other international relationships. Digital technology is vital for this imposition, and interaction design has a responsibility for it. As everyday life becomes increasingly mediated by digital technologies, their rhythms are formalized, structured, or replaced by algorithms that structure everyday life rhythms, also known as algorithms that offers little accountability and local autonomy. These algorithms enforce absolute time over other causes of time as a means to poor modern values like progress, efficiency, and profit-making. Despite the appearance of universality, these values do have a local origin. They come from developed nations where modernity and, more recently, neoliberalism were invented and dispatched to the rest of the world as if they were the only viable modes of collective existence. Interaction design contributes to this dispatch by embedding and hiding modern and liberal values and modes of existence into digital technology's temporal form. In the last 15 years, critical and speculative design research has questioned absolute time in interaction design. This research stream made the case that time can also be designed in relative terms. Given a certain present, what are the possible pasts and futures? Looking at alternative futures or alternative pasts enables realizing alternative presents and alternative designs. These alternatives often include deviations, deviations from the apparently inevitable single-story future shaped by digital technologies envisioned by big tech companies. The deviation expands the design space, the scenarios considered in a design project. To every kind of social activity, even the no-commercial, dystopian what-if scenarios reveal undesirable modern futures that certain publics would oppose to, and utopian might we, how might we scenarios generates desirable local futures that community may commit. Each community has different perceptions of time, requiring, requiring different ways of representing time. For example, the temporal design of alternative clocks with qualitative scales. Emphasis on relative time brought speculative design closer to the politics of technology deliberation pioneered by participatory design, generating hybrid approaches like adversarial design. As modern, cultures, as modern cultures and societies transition to rely on digital technology for mediating almost any social activity, 
This deliberation is reaching the level of a politics of everyday life. The transition also implies a shift in the interaction design's role, from a reflective practitioner to a deliberative practitioner. Instead of dealing mainly with the world of design materials and design situations, the deliberative interaction designer needs to deal with pluriversal worlds, including the conflicts harbored from one world's imposition to another. For example, the world of Big Tech Silicon Valley raises existential threats to historically oppressed social groups who live in entirely different worlds. Instead of criticizing Big Tech structures of privilege and oppression, speculative and critical design remains somewhat detached from this undesirable presence. The deliberative practitioner is not yet a reality in direction design, perhaps because this field has not considered seriously the collective implication of making history by designing time. Historicity, or the collective human capacity to make history, is a recent concern for design research and education. Transitional design histories, for example, use the concept to justify the inclusion of people traditionally left out from history-making to design together, open quote, many possible trajectories through multiple presents toward divergent potential futures, close quote. Except for this new approach, historicity remains mostly unexplored as a foundational concept theorizing human-computer interaction, HCI. Historicity may not be a widespread notion in interaction design because time has primarily been understood in HCI as a resource, as a contextual contingency instead of an existential issue. Nevertheless, it is precisely the possibility of developing alternative collective existential projects such as nations, cities, and creative communities that animates the political deliberation about everyday life. The relationship between time and existence is especially rele relevant in territories where settler colonialism cut short the production of local futures to keep the colony tied to the never-reached future promised by the metropolis. A contemporary example is the discourse on smart cities that pushes underdeveloped cities to develop in the same way as developed cities have developed in the past. HCI could criticize and counter the existential threats posed by colonialist and imperialist technologies. However, that requires developing further the existential perspective of HCI summarized by Capitolini. This perspective currently considers the effect of digital technology on human experience, mainly dealing with existential questions such as who am I now and who do I want to become in the future? Instead of further closing the individual inside a open quote bovine design close quote that offers little choice and consequential awareness, existentialist HCI encourages responsibility. With proper awareness, the individual can then understand the constraints of a situation act authentically. As far as raised the possibility of designers and users breaking free from everyday alienation. This existential perspective does not consider the social roots of the condition. Furthermore, it does not avail the role of history in the production of existence. The lack of historicity lends too much attention to the impact of technology and little on society's impact on existence. To overcome this lack, we think it's necessary to consider the development 
of technology and society in a dialectical relationship like the field of science and technology studies, STS typically does. With the goal of developing a dialectical existential perspective over time in interaction design, this research examines the work of Brazilian philosopher Álvaro Vieira Pinto, who can be considered a forerunner of science, technology and society and decolonial studies. His work focused on the relationship between consciousness and nation, how it manifests in philosophy, education, work, demography, science, technology, development, and cybernetics. He was primarily concerned with undeveloped nations like Brazil, that between the 50s, the 1950s, and the 1960s went through rapid modernization, industrialization, and humanization transformations. Although his ideas like consciousness and underdevelopment have profoundly influenced many intellectuals of his time, such as Paulo Freire, his work is not yet widely known, even among the experts on the, of these topics, of his topics. This unawareness can be explained by the fact that the military dictatorship that took over Brazil in the 1964 forced Vieira Pinto into exile at that same year, discouraged the publications of his works and prevented him from joining any public debates when he returned to Brazil in 68. Working quietly at home with some help from his wife, he wrote several manuscripts until his death in 1987. Some of these manuscripts were found and published after the 2000s, sparking a renewed interest in his work. Among them, the concept of technology published originally, written originally in 1973 and published only in 2005, stands out, a dialectical existential treatise on technology divided into four thick volumes that predated many discussions held in HCI since the 80s, such as handiness, information theory, division of labor, mediated activity, futurology, and human cognition, as well as discussions held in the STS field since the 90s, such as technological determinism, technical reason, technology as culture, scientific development, evidence theory, and technological inequality. In previous works, we explored the possible contributions of Paulo Freire to interaction design education. In the present research, we turn to Álvaro Vieira Pinto, considered to be one of his masters, to deal with third-wave HCI education issues. If education in the first wave focused on learning on how to design efficient interactions for work routines, in the second wave issues of workflow and coordination came to the fore. In the third wave, when HCI becomes concerned with the political deliberation of everyday life, HCI education moved toward broader context in which the very existence of diverse human social groups is disputed or threatened. HCI research has responded to these threats by reconstructing its philosophical foundations based on post-colonial theory, feminist theory, queer theory, post-humanism, race studies, and other approaches that try to avoid 
the pitfall of implicitly reproducing oppression in HCI theories. While observing these movements in third-wave HCI, we developed a design research program informed by Vieira Pinto, Paulo Freire, and other Latin America authors on the possibility of designing for liberation. This research reports on two series of design experiments held as part of this program with interaction design students in the Brazilian University. We choose the educational context for this experience experiments because it's an opportunity to observe and intervene with interaction designs professionals emergence, particularly the development of their ethical and aesthetical foundations. The educational challenge of learning design artifacts and methods of developing digital competence sometimes overshadows the professions the profession's ethical and political dimension. As we have pointed in previous studies, this avoidance can be explained by the banking concept of education. That deposits content like artifacts and methods in the students' designers' heads, who may or may not use it in the future. The design experiments raised critical consciousness among the students on the relevance of interaction design to their locality, first and foremost to avoid the domestication of the future that prevents local development. We try to take hold of historicity in our social, economic, political, cultural context of underdevelopment, an interest that brought us to the concept of existential time. Existential time corresponds roughly to the social construction of time from historicity. This temporality is both subjective and objective because it shapes experiences and material conditions for the production of existence. As such, it does not unfold as a straightforward course of action, but as an existential challenge that involves choices, decisions, ethical dilemmas, contradictions, and politics, as much as dealing, making, transforming, and doing. Instead of pointing to an imponderable property of the world, like absolute time, or to the subjective experience of thrownness in the world, like relative time, existential time points to the social dispute for being fully human and making history through acting in the world in a concerted manner. Since technology is both a condition and a result of human action, its relation to existential time is not restricted to measurement, understanding and use, but to development in the first place. The development and underdevelopment of collective existential projects like the nation lies at the crux of existential time. Development is a widespread notion in HCI, largely related to the possible large-scale effect of introducing digital technologies in underdeveloped nations, as if their existential projects could accelerate or leapfrog to the same material conditions offered by developed nations. Critics have pointed out that not every nation wants to develop in the same way as developed nations, even if there is a dependence from them, recognizing many cultural development streams. Underdevelopment, in this critical view, ceases to be a problem for the developed to solve, but an opportunity for the underdeveloped to make history in a different stream. Existential time and historicity seems to be key concepts to understand and practice the deliberative role of interaction design in the condition of underdevelopment. This research relates existential time and historicity throughout nine sessions, 
including this introduction. In section 2, we delve into the main concepts behind Alvaro Vita Pinto's existential time, the production of existence and historicity. Historicity leads to a discussion of handiness and the distinction between Vieira Pintus and Martin Heidegger's understanding of these terms. Section 3 expands further on handiness and relates the concept to development and underdevelopment. In section 4, there is a description of a specific strategy that affects existential time in undeveloped nations, the domestication of the future. In section 5, we summarize two series of experiments that try to counter the domestication of the future in an educational interaction design studio in Brazil. Including its major outcome, a range of conjunctural artifacts developed to handle existential time. Sections 6 and 7 describe and analyze two design fiction projects developed by the students with experiments, within the experiments. Section 8 discusses the insights and limitations of these experiments and the possible contributions of realizing existential time. Finally, Section 9 presents final remarks on the research, in which we summarize our findings and point towards localized future studies. Section 2. Existential Time in Álvaro Vieira Pinto This section introduces key concepts developed by the Brazilian philosopher Álvaro Vieira Pinto. His ontology positions the human being as a temporal being, which relates to the world in a temporal way, similar to what Martin Heidegger did in his book Being and Time. Instead of defining the essence of being like the German philosopher defined the design entity, the Brazilian philosopher states that human beings produce their existence by transforming reality. Humans are distinguished from other beings precisely because they produce their existence socially and historically from material conditions. Each society and individual must produce their existence based on interactions with what is available around, what he called handiness. From that handiness, human beings can design new possible actions, develop and produce new means of existence. Though not by this name, handiness often appears in HCI's discourse, based on the Heideggerian distinction between the two modes of interacting with objects in the world. 1 ready to hand, Zuhantiheit, or practical attitude, when the interaction takes place in everyday life as if the human and the object were a single being, and two, present at hand, Fuhantiheit, or theoretical attitude, when an object is understood as an external entity and distinct from the person. In this interpretation, the shift between handiness modes occurs through breakdown, repairing, and learning. For example, when an object breaks or does not work as expected, it requires going from ready to hand to present at hand. The opposite is also true. When repairing a broken object, its relationship shifts from present at hand back to ready to hand. Vieira Pinto engages in a critical reading of Heidegger's understanding of handiness. First, he situates handiness in specific historicity. Advanced technologies are ready to hand for some people because society has made them so. Conversely, less advanced technologies are present at hand or not even available to others. Second, he proposes a third and foundational, foundational mode of handiness, work, a mode of engagement with reality that transforms handiness, creating new possibilities. 
The modes of engagement are not static and alternating like in Heidegger's interpretation. According to Vieira Pinto, these modes are simultaneously developing in higher or lower handedness degrees. He provides an example. The primitive man, after having invented a bow and arrow, could not, of course, send any artificial satellites into space, but he could then hunt animals that were out of reach. Handedness degrees admit that human relationships with reality can always develop through continuous work. Because everything in handness is the result of previous works, it can also serve as a material for future work. The first hammer, for, ex for instance, was not crafted by other hammers. The human creator has to use artifacts and knowledge from the existing handness. As soon as the hammer became ready to hand through this historical work of developing handness, the construction of a range of new artifacts became possible, but not for every social group. If a higher and lower handedness degree exists in history, it's because there is an uneven distribution of techniques in society. With this concept, Pierre Pinto does not intend to create an universal scale of handedness, but to reveal the historicity of technique. Vieira Pinto's concept of historicity also differs from Heidegger's. The German philosopher considers that historicity is an essential condition for being. Hence, humans are not born in natural history. They are historical because everything they do has history and produces history. Nevertheless, Heidegger recognizes the predominance of an inauthentic notion of historicity in everyday life, which is similar to what we discussed previously about absolute time, and proposes an authentic understanding of historicity that takes time as a property of human beings and not of inanimate things, like clocks. Based on this, authors in the design field refer to this time as existential time, a subjective way of experiencing time in everyday life. Vieira Pinto's understanding of historicity does not support this subjective interpretation of time. The Brazilian philosopher agrees with Heidegger that historicity is essential to human beings. However, he emphasizes that consciousness of historicity is socially produced. In fact, historicity is a relationship between human beings and the consciousness generated from several people interacting with the world. This understanding of historicity leads to a completely different notion of existential time. Open quote. Humans are, in fact, by essence, beings endowed with ability to last, and if this duration appreciated from the outside, manifests itself as a chronologically limited period for between two dates. If birth and death have a specific and definite day, the real duration in which human life passes is something unintelligible quantitatively, one that presents itself as a form of perception of an existence by itself, in the consciousness of its identity with itself, with its, with its, which is constituted by the unity of its diverse and successive aspects and states. Humans perceive this succession from self to self, from within, as an evident fact of their consciousness. Humans know their existence as the history of themselves, of which, moreover, they are the only historians." Close quote by Vera Pinto. History is, for Vera Pinto, the trace left by the transformation of reality, that human beings shape and are shaped by. 
As for our work, it is the conscious effort of using these traces to produce the means of existence. The more conscious and participative the human beings are to the historicity that constitutes them, or that may constitute them in the future, the greater the human being's capacity to produce existence. Existence, for its sake, is not entirely subjective, that is, depends on the material accumulation of work in collective existential projects, such as the biological and cultural evolution of the human species. Agreeably, the time of this existence should also be partially objective. Open quote. Existential time is the one in which man really exists. It is the duration that is confused with existence. Where the origins of his decisions are located, where the acts sprouts from freedom, because they are relative to the production of existence, not of the individual, but of the entire species. Close quote. From that definition, we can imply that existential time corresponds to the social production of time, but then a possibility is offered by specific social groups, historicity and handiness. Humans produce existential time to organize the collective existential projects they are part of, but this production can also deny the existential projects of other social groups, this being the negative aspect of existential time. In existential time, past, present and future becomes temporalities of existence, as possibilities and not as determinations. Open quote, consciousness capture itself in its enduring reality and sees itself as a being that identifies with what has already been, as well as anticipates insureness or the expectation of what is yet to be, close quote, Vera Pinto. Linearity cannot encompass this aspect of existence as it can be altered, transformed and diverted. For Vieira Pinto, temporality is the result and the condition for the social production of historicity, the union between historical memory and will of destiny. In other words, the present corresponds to the realm of freedom, as it is an open field for changing past and future. Since it is oriented to change, the present always direct, directs towards the future, even when including the past. A human being seeks to anticipate reality that does not yet exist, acting in the now with intentionality. Due to this orientation, we could say that human beings do not develop existential projects. They are existential projects in themselves. Design and HCI theories have tried to capture that aspect of human reality under terms like ontological design, life projects, and community endeavors. Framing human existence as a collective project reinstates the importance of ecstatic temporality, the linear succession, succession of past, present, and future that Heidegger considered to be vulgar. In existential projects, the present results from the accumulation of previous works, reified as knowledge and techniques, the legacy of historical experience. What we now call the past was in those days a present. The past offered multiple, multiple possibilities, decisions, and paths as it was also the future of an older present. The taking path, which we now see as a given past, was just one of the possibilities containing that existential time. Human beings who are conscious of their historicity can rethink their past existence to open up futures, transforming material conditions in past and presents allows for new forms of actions in future.
Handiness, section three, handiness and underdevelopment. Existential projects do not develop solely by their inner forces. There are always several collaborating and competing existential projects in the same locality, not to mention different localities. Vieira Pinto explains the development of existential projects through a dialectic of the new and old. The continuous use of old techniques creates the need and conditions for new techniques that are more effective. This quantitative accumulation of techniques gives rise to a qualitative transformation of handness, when all the individuals associated with existential project can handle the new technique. However, when this technique is brought to other existential projects that have not gone through the process of accumulation, it generates the need of the new without the conditions of the old. The technique is then used only by a few social groups. This externally induced development ends up generating dramatic differences in handiness degrees among social groups. As can be seen from as can be seen in these dialectics, handiness results from accumulated knowledge and technologies and objects arranged in a specific conjuncture, together with offering a space for immediate action and long-term existential projects. Vieira Pinto's handiness concept emphasized that the human being is defined not only by his mind or body but also by his situation and circumstances. Humans become humans by taking the local reality as a material for transforming that same reality. Handness is a local developing relationship starting from the hand, which is in the body's immediate reach, and extending to an entire nation where the human being is located. The nation appears as a crucial mediation due to the role of governments politics, laws, ideologies, and identities in shaped reality. The human organization of the world into several nations is a trace of collective existence in contemporary societies. The relationship between the subject and the world inevitably crosses the nation, as Vieira Pinto writes, open quote, I cannot understand the history of the past and future world unless it affects the course of events in my own national space, close quote. Like so many other intellectuals from underdeveloped nations in post-war geopolitics, Vieira Pinto claimed their people's sovereignty. The possibilities of deciding the direction of these nations and developing their future require the criticism of imperialism and dependence relationship that generated underdevelopment. From a dialectical existential perspective, underdevelopment is a relative condition. Ontologically, all nations are developing, but historically, some of them have managed to establish themselves as developed in relation to underdeveloped nations. Underdevelopment is not a result of some nations' incapacity. It is a condition that caused is a condition caused by imperialism, colonialism, political interventions, marginalization, and other dependency strategies originating from developed nations' geopolitical strategies. The relationship between the developed and the developed can be characterized as an oppression, since it denies the developed rights to humanize through raising consciousness of historicity and increasing handness degrees. Developed nations do not want the former colonies to develop any further, because in this state of affairs they can continue to perform this exploit through commercial and political exchange. That is why Vera Pinto considered terms like developing nations as an euphemism. For him, unawareness or rejection of underdevelopment 
results from ideological work that conceals history. However, Vieira Pinto uses the term underdevelopment as a development that was preventing, prevented from developing, but that can still develop, especially in a different way than developed nations. Granted, underdevelopment is a possibility for the underdevelopment to become aware and make history for themselves. When Vieira Pinto defines underdevelopment as a way of being, open quote, as a way of being of the total existence of a national community at a certain stage in its process, close quote, he defines it as a qualitative condition of a collective existential project. His dialectical existential perspective comes close to the contemporary perspective, such, a, such as that of Arturus Escobar, which recognize that each culture has its own development parameters. Open quote. The first correct axiom of the development theory inspired in dialectical thinking states that no country is obliged to follow the same path taken by another country just because it led that country to the pinnacles of history. Close quote. By Vera Pinto. Both scholars denounced the oppression that imposed a single development path to every nation. However, Vieira Pinto does not support a relativistic approach to development. He recognizes that developed technologies may reflect the highest level of reason achieved by the human species in understanding the laws of nature and making good use of them. However, he states that these technologies depend on the accumulated work of these nations and elsewhere. Simply transplanting these technologies to underdeveloped countries does not necessarily contribute to their development as it does not lead to accumulated work there. To the contrary, development technologies usually improve the capacity of the developed to exploit underdeveloped work. Therefore, open quote, not any technology identified as technique suits the underdeveloped, even those that represents, represent the most advanced productive development of the moment, close quote, Vera Pinto. To Vieira Pinto, the underdeveloped nation's strategy should be to import and adapt what is necessary to develop autonomously and distribute all of their benefits among its constituent social groups. Section 4. The Domestication of the Future Self-directed development is discouraged by various symbolic operations and discursive strategies that include the developmental relationship. Among them, the domestication of the future stands a specific form of alienation characterized by the concealment of the open and undefined characteristics of the future temporality. Domestication of the future is not just a type of media or a form of narrative, but an ideological way of operating with a future dimension. It is about removing the threatening and unknown nature of the future, domesticating it in advance in detail. Once domesticated, the future may disguise the continuity of the present's oppressive reality. In everyday life, the domestication of the future takes the shape of an extreme concern with, with technologies and a lousy disregard for the human interests that drive them. The developed nations' charismatic technologies present themselves as if they were already positioned in the future in a precise operation to persuade and convince the undeveloped nations of their justified dependence. 
Conversely, the same operation disqualified the techniques possessed by the underdeveloped as obsolete or delayed. In this value shift, the domestication of the future reinforces the alienated judgment that important technology is always of better quality. The domestication of the future detaches technology from handmaids, blocking the present reality's examination. The speculation about the future centers around the revolt of robots, time-traveling paradoxes, or humanity over-reliance on technology. Technology's role in amplifying or reducing oppression relations is mostly absent or presented as a narrative subtext. Colonial views often present technology as the motor of human history, pushing society forward in linear progress that ends with a developed nation's condition. The domestication of the future often, often recourse to an ideological study of the future, the futurology. Open quote. It seems fair to say that the eloquent futurology ethorically designed by economists and sociologists in imperialism's service constitutes something worse than an error. It is useless. Man, ultimately, is not interested in knowing which, with which machines they will live, but with which man. In other words, what man expects from the future are not better machines which give them greater comfort, but a better man forming a fraternal society without risks, deprivations, anguish, and exploitation. Close quote. By Pinto. Classic futurology typically describes a state of reality that was expected by society, yet refrained from, open quote, indicating the means and forces that should transform the present into an initiated radiant future, close quote, by Pinto. Contemporary futurology is now clear about framing technology and science as the engines of transformation. Pinto's understanding of historicity debunks this myth. Technology does not make history, humans do. Also, the individual does not make history alone. Humans make history by developing collective existential projects, such as that of the nation. To speak of history without the human being is to reify time as a technology of control, hiding the human participation in its definition, production, and measurement. The domestication of the future neutralizes the present as an opportunity for social change as if it was unnecessary or impossible to change. Its main symbolic operation is to transform the hope into waiting, waiting for the future technologies from the benevolent developed nations. Unfortunately, when these techniques do arrive, they are part of the past, but the past before date already expired. To paraphrase the Silicon Valley slogan problematized by Lucy Suchman, open quote, the future arrives sooner here, close quote. This operation undeveloped undervalues the technologies possessed by the underdeveloped nations. In this mismatch, the artifacts from the developed nations appear as the ultimate versions of the artifacts from underdeveloped nations, as if they stem from the same existential projects. Constraining history to a given future, the domestication of the future denies the oppressed historicity as if they could not make history from inner forces. Only a hero, an enlightened one, an outsider, an alien, a natural cause, or a deus ex machina can change domesticated future. Science fiction 
is a literary, literary genre that often supports the domestication of the future, especially for its potential of alienated entertainment. It's an expensive genre in cinema, which requires cutting-edge technologies for special effects rarely seen in undeveloped nations. Technology appears even more futuristic than in their countries of origin because they take the developed handiness as a starting point. In contrast, underdeveloped handiness is restricted to dystopian stories as if they represented undesirable futures. In speculative design, there is the design fiction genre, which differentiates from science fiction in its focus on everyday life and on ordinary people. Despite these differences, design fiction may similarly contribute to the domestication of the future when it introduces near-future scenarios as something unavoidable, particularly to underdeveloped nations. Even if the fiction challenges the status quo, technology is, de is depicted as dynamic, active entity while society is portrayed as a static, passive entity, effectively hindering, hiding the historical nexus between technology and society. Similar, similarly, underdeveloped technology is this depicted as static in comparison to the always changing technology of the developed nations. The domestication of the future obscures the technology producers and their intentions, making their products appear as autonomous agents coming from nowhere, ready to disrupt any society that welcomes them. Although they speak about a futuristic scenario, design fiction is materialized in the present, reflecting present values, intentions, and ideologies. Design scholars concerned with the domestication of the future have tried to counter this strategy in the present by adopting a decolonial perspective over speculative design. In their effort, they implicitly raised a challenge for underdeveloped interaction design. How to raise designers' consciousness of oppressed historicity? In the next section, we present design experiments that encourage future designers to handle existential time in the condition of underdevelopment. Section 5. Handling existential time in underdeveloped interaction design. If handling existential time requires increasing the handless degree to the point of becoming fully conscious of historicity, how to develop that in a design experiment? Developing handiness in professional practice is tricky as most designers work in alienated situations, not seeing how their work fits an overall picture, e.g. how it contributes to collective existential projects like the nation. We have chosen to run experiments in education since it offers a unique opportunity to develop history-making skills. Students are still discovering their places in the world and the worlds they want to place themselves. By becoming aware of their historicity, they might realize they are already transforming a specific world and can do that more consciously. As teachers in the Digital Design Bachelor program located in Brazil, we want to develop student handiness to handle existential time responsibly in the condition of underdevelopment. In past, experiments, in, in past experiences, we noticed huge differences between developed interaction design and underdeveloped interaction design. 
We concluded that it was beneficial for our nation to develop interaction design from our reality, even if underdeveloped. We organized then two series of design experiments guided by the evolving concept of existential time in our Designing for Liberation Research program. We documented these experiments through written annotation, audio recordings, video and photos, all taken with verbal consent. The qualitative data was later reviewed and analyzed to write this account and reconstitute the historical unfolding of the research program and the evolving understanding of the theoretical background introduced in the previous sections. We had two series of design experiments, one held in the hypermedia course and the other held in the interaction design course, both from the same bachelor program, aiming to expand the design space of interaction design to include technical and social relations connected to values, cultures and politics, we choose design fiction as the center of design practice for both courses. The first series of experiments was conducted throughout seven cohorts of hypermedia between 2011 to 2014 by the second author, who acted as the course's teacher. In the experiments, students speculated about their reality while producing design fiction about their future visions. From the standpoint of interaction design, these visions can be considered fancy solutions to exciting problems that simple technologies could better solve. The requirement of developing the same, same video project in the special effects course taught by another teacher may partially explain that. In any case, from a dialectical existential perspective, students were trying to mimic the future visions that the second author introduced as examples as well as the ones they found when searching for examples on their own. They watched videos produced by big tech corporations from developed nations such as Microsoft, Google, Nokia, and Corning. Their fictions aptly mimic these fictions, looking for new uses for the technologies without questioning or altering their designs. Not surprisingly, several design fictions created by the students applied augmented reality glasses, AR. A technology disputed by some of these companies at the moment for gamification, chat conversations, image editing, and other activities they often engage in everyday life. They took their present reality and developed further that reality as a possible future, using digital and physical mockups for representing futuristic technologies. While handling existential time in this way, students crafted an universal future that could happen anywhere on the planet. Qualitative changes in technology and, and society hardly appeared. The alternative futures of speculative design, instead of opening up alternative presents, led to realizing the status quo's trends. Students imagine having more developed technologies, a quantitative change, as if that was all what that was possible to imagine about the future in an undeveloped nation. The first series of experiments resulted in ample evidence of the domestication of the future, which we try to deliberately counter in the second series. In the second series of experiments, both authors worked as teachers. We consider here seven cohorts of interaction design, spread from 2015 to 2018. The course focused on human relations mediated by digital artifacts with a perspective that interaction designers must work amidst an ecology of interactions, 
playing the role of meta designers that make interactions visible and designable. With each new cohort, we realized that design fiction and critical and speculative design did not mean the same as in the place of their origins. We were in a Brazilian university, so we had to approach these topics in the underdeveloped reality in which we lived. This reflection resulted in lessening the ecological view of interaction design and in turn in strengthening the dialectical existential perspective on human interactions. While reflecting on the first series of experiments, the authors noticed that students had had a hard time and perhaps lack of motivation to grasp historicity. This educational challenge raised a hypothesis in the design research program. Introducing a new kind of artifact that requires conjuncturing before conjecturing could perhaps help students develop a higher handedness degree of their existential time. Exciting speculative design artifacts such as video prototypes, scenario props, pastiche scenarios, diegetic prototypes, counterfactual artifacts, objects, and spines were well suited for conjecturing for possible situations in the future or in the past. However, they are not meant to conjuncture, to bring together the multiple determination of a, a given historical situation. Conjecture without conjuncture neglects human historicity as change always comes from handness. The result is often a decontextualized speculation that contributes little to collective existential projects. Reflecting on the shortcomings of existential approaches to speculative design, we developed a range of conjunctural artifacts, tools, objects, and instruments taken from a local handness that helps to realize multiple historical determinations and possible pasts and futures within it. In each experiment, a conjunctural artifact was proposed based on the author's progressive understanding of student handness and the practical challenges of handling existential time. Design students reconstructed the artifacts as part of their learning tasks. The first experiments tried handling existential time with anachronistic photos taken from existing technologies. And the last included mockumentaries about present controversies involved emerging technologies. We noticed that each artifact enabled handling existential time in a different handedness degree depending on its relationship with student backgrounds and the larger socio-political context. The intention to produce design fiction from our reality manifested in, the three significant, manifested in three significant changes in the studio. A. Bringing more of students' own lives, their knowledge, techniques and artifacts. B. Seeking for and creating various histories, personal or national and c. Deepening the understanding of the locality, from the city to the country. The students responded cautiously, but firmly, since 2013, when Brazilian democracy shifted to a state of constant turmoil. Due to massive street protests, students brought local and national political issues to discuss and relate to interaction design. The most vigorous debates emerged in the months that preceded, preceded actions. In 2014, the FIFA World Cup happened in Brazil just some months before the national elections, and protesters, protesters occupied the competition venues to demand more healthcare investments. 
students included then images and memories from these demonstrations in their fictions. In 2016, a similar movement happened in Rio de Janeiro's Olympics, culminating with a coup d'etat led to President Dilma Rousseff impeachment. Students vigorously discussed the role of Curitiba in these national events as the powerful jurisdiction of the car wash investigation that blasted the president and dozens of other politicians, including former president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. In 2018, Lula was imprisoned there right when he was at the top of the election polls for a new presidential mandate. Curitiba appears again in student projects after the unexpected election of far-right politicians Jair Bolsonaro by the end of 2018, they revealed a loss of hope in the nations and their futures. The design fiction took a darker feeling. While students represented these recent facts as exceptional, we problematized that political upheavals were common in Brazilian history. We often return to the military coup of 1964 as an example of a recent history that could have been prevented from repeating itself. Some students, though, did not agree with us that this upheaval was a coup d'etat, and that the military had cut citizens' rights from that point onwards. Echoing the far-right discourse, they argued that significant technological and economic progress compensated for any eventual liberty loss. We kept the debate open and respectful, so these students could also express their understanding next to the colleagues who stood in the opposite direction as we did. Believing in the need for dialogue, we thought that this to be essential to restore the belief in democracy and politics which was under heavy attack at that moment, and still is at the existential time of this writing. In Brazil, like in many Latin American nations, national history is forced to repeat, mainly due to historical oppressions maintained in the background, also known as the cycle of Macondo. Even if the colonizers and the colonized change, the relation remains steady. Brazil was still culturally dependent on Portugal in the 19th century, even if politically independent. In the 20th century, many nations disputed that their geopolitical influence over Brazil until the U.S. reached the hegemony by supporting the military coup of 1964. U.S. imperialism gave a new shape to colonialism, which maintained technological and economic dependence while conceding political dependence under shady interventions. Even if this resulted in a more liberal economy in Brazil, the interventions did not push a full liberal agenda. For example, women are still underrepresented in face of patriarchy, and LGBTQI people suffer from religious prejudice. Reflecting on Brazil's recent history, Augusto Ball, the theater of the press creator, stated that the fight against the single open quote, the fight against the single oppression is indissociable from the fight against all oppression, even if one that seems secondary. Close quote. Inspired by Boal, we started experimenting with theater of the oppressed as a means to design oppressive and liberate interactions in our studio. We could then see how oppressors stylized themselves inside the oppressed through symbolic operations such as changing hope for waiting. To take this oppressor out, we experimented with altering cultural probes to identify social pressures experienced in existential time. Students even interviewed other people that faced similar pressures. Our studio aimed at producing critical and speculative designs from the historical oppressions that students had first-hand experience, not from oppressions they imagined somewhere someone else might feel, like typically done in speculative and critical design. 
The intention behind all this was to put their hands on their collective future, mediated by the nation and other local identities. By getting a hold of this controversial object, they could realize they are already making that future right now in the present. Instead of articulating alternative presents for alternative futures using the now classic speculative design cone, we tried to raise consciousness of historicity, including the multiple relationships between pasts, presents, and futures, much like in transitional design histories. The operation of anchoring an imagined future to an actual, actual past or an imagined past to an actual present helped them to understand that speculative design does not necessarily mean going wild and importing futures without a critical review. Local futures mattered because the students could have a higher independence degree over them. Conscious of that, we teachers and students could realize the collective futures that were handed to us, not the ones that were handed to developed nations. Anthropophagy was a pivotal reference to our understanding of underdeveloped interaction design pedagogy. Instead of denying developed futures, we incorporate them as part of our pasts. Anthropophagy led us to imagine a foreign technology's anticipation in the local past of interest as if they were made available by the two-point taken from the official historical narrative. The students got immersed in their handiness, as there was so much more information about the locality's past than about its present. We devoured the past, digested the future and absorbed the present, like modernists did with a native identity. They called technicized barbarian the native who enjoys modernization without losing its antithetical origins. Interaction design typically looks at synchronic relationships between technology and society in specific handiness. Since we wanted to explore historicity, we looked at diachronic relationships in multiple developing handiness. We used decades as an existential time reference, however, we de-emphasize developing the history linearly. We wanted to trace and speculate about this continuous qualitative transitions, such as back and forth movements and implicit and explicit developments. The transitions had to be justified based on the conditions offered by the initial handness, avoiding deus ex machina and other sorts of margin magical thought that may or may not work as a quick fix for narrative holes. Each action had to have a reaction and so on like in the dialectics of the old and the new previously discussed. The final work required producing a design mockumentary that brought together and articulated all previous exercises and experiences. We created this conjunctural artifact for several reasons. First, the audiovisual language helps articulate interaction language, which is not so visible otherwise. Second, it uses the possibilities already contained in the present, keeping the speculative dis uh, discourse linked to the possible, with objects and scenarios already found in student handedness. Third, students could use their bodies, their voices, their imaginary memories, family objects, basically everything they had around. The rationale was that the final result should look like a mockumentary, but the process should focus less on the video's production and more on the technology and society relations. We recommended students producing scenes that are easy to record, such as casting themselves as actors or interviewees, 
making collage of digital videos and replacing the original audio track for a voiceover track. The process stands in contrast to the first sequence of experiments, with which focus on mastering the audiovisual language. Rather than relying on camera shots to produce the mockumentary, the students discovered that using archive video material from sources like local news archive, YouTube, and the Internet Archive, they could meet the tight assignment schedule of three weeks. As long as they reproduced only short fragments of the video, they respect the Brazilian law on fair use of creative materials. The materials appeared in short sequences, often without the original audio, replaced by a narrator's voiceover. The narration interpreted the facts differently from the original movie intended, as expected from a mockumentary, yet still supported by the freedom of speech right granted by the Brazilian Constitution. However, some of the pictures lingered on Grey Zone, where parodies are typically found, in contrast to what speculative design literature recommends, sticking to dark, satiric, and deadpan humor. The ad hoc instructions try to help them recognize themselves as historical subjects. The projects were less about the future of technology, as if technology is a being on itself that has a future of its own, and more about our students' future lives. The following section describes two examples in that so that the design process, learning activities, and conjunctural artifacts may become more concrete to the reader. Section 6, a design fiction about Curitiba as a prosthetics capital city. Prosthesis, the next level, 2016, is a design documentary about the controversy regenerated by replacing healthy human limbs for advanced prosthetics in Curitiba, where great advancements in this field supposedly occurred. The mockumentary engaged with Curitiba municipal, municipal elections, particularly with the mayor's candidate proposal to recover the city's position as an international reference on urban innovation. The entrepreneurial program Vale do Pinhão, Pidon Valley, would bring Silicon Valley ideas and policies to the city, even if there were no geographic valleys around it. The main problem tackled by the political campaign was the difficulty of starting and growing a business in Curitiba, ignoring social issues such as the steep increase in homelessness, traffic jams, and gentrification. The campaign tried to position Silicon Valley's innovation model as the future for Curitiba. Among the several design fiction developed as a counter-discourse to this campaign, we choose processes because it is discusses how technology is intimately associated with collective existence. The controversy centered around post-humanism design issues. Did the prosthetics turn humans into non-humans, more than humans, or even superhumans? The documentary does not answer the questions, but displays various perspectives, leaving it open for future debate and development. Instead of taking Vale do Pinhão, future at face value, students pointed out that innovations have human costs that companies and governments often neglect when prioritizing economic indicators. The project stemmed from a joint investigation that involved the whole class in the first course weeks. 
To engage with the election debates in a dialectical existential perspective, we propose to study the city's past before speculating about its future, beginning with the 1970s decade when the mayor Jaime Lene implemented Curitiba's first master plan. We started by sharing all the city's past students had at hand without accessing historical records. Following the ecological understanding of interaction design, we compiled Curitiba's urban ecology map in the 70s. The map broadened the relationships considered by individual perspectives and made them reflect how little that they knew about the city's past. None of the students were born at that time, yet some had objects from that time at home. We asked them to bring an object like that to the next class, complemented by an audiovisual interview with that object's user, mostly their parents and grandparents. We expected these conjunctural artifacts could help students become more conscious of their family handedness. Students first laid down their objects on a table and drew the relationship between them using elastic strings and talk. After the objects were laid down and related, we played the interview records to complete the understanding of existential time. The object ecology map was much more concrete than the urban ecology map due to the personal histories and specific relationships. The stories revealed the handness and relationship that kept the objects in use or in possession up to these days. While debriefing the maps and interviews, students reflect that existential time seemed to pass slower in the 70s than in the 2010s. Now there is a dialogue between teachers and students. Teacher A. Time went slower? Student A. Yes, for example, today you listen to 50 songs in one day. Not then. You stop to listen to music. You stop to have coffee. You stop to do things. Student B. Jokingly. There was no internet. Student A. Today things are very fast. Teacher A. Connecting to the lived experience that reconstructed the past. What was closest to the internet at that time? Student C, the post office. Teacher A pointed an object brought to the table. What about Mad Magazine? Was it any closer to the internet? Student D referred to the magazine interviewee. He said he shared, right? Student E picks up another object on the table. I think the newspaper is more like it because it comes out more often. Student F, the TV too. Student G, the lack of technology, on the other hand, made people lighter in audible material. Student H. Less robotic. Teacher A. More focused, right? Student G. Yeah, you will stop for coffee. As I said, nowadays you do this and this simultaneously activities. Student A. You can say the same about photography. You stop to take a picture. This fragment of the debriefing dialogue offers some everyday examples of how existential time manifests in the production of existence. The dialogue also exemplifies how teachers and students collaborate to handle existential time in progressively higher handedness degrees. After realizing the existential relationship between locality and temporality, they could finally start the design fiction project. To help students create a storyline, we provide them expressive materials to brainstorm the story while improvising it.
Instead of saying the character does this at this moment, we encourage them to pick an object representing the character and do the action like in object theater and make believe. The humorous atmosphere generated was vital to enable an expansive exploration of possibilities in narratives and design discourses. When the story settled, we proposed them to analyze and ground it firmly on Kritiba's ecosystem using a combination of maps. They grounded their speculation on the map, which became more focused on urban relations than on the characters. In previous lectures, we emphasized that urban relations, such as gentrification, emerge from oppression relations like worker exploitation, racism, xenophobia, and religious intolerance. To problematize the urban relations featured by the stories, we held two sessions using Theater Forum, a technique borrowed from the Theater of the Press Arsenal. These students improvised a short play of two to five minutes depicting the moment when oppression relations are explicit in the story. After presenting the play, we invited students from other social groups, from other groups to propose a character's reaction to the oppression. The audience replaced the initial actors as soon as someone got an idea on how to make the act better. The remaining actors stayed in their roles and provided resistance to the reaction. In a play about worker exploitation, a student from the audience tried to react to extreme workload and lost a limb in a work accident. Following the theater of Preston's joke system, we provided simple costumes and props as resources for improvisation. The student took a mechanical hand toy and used it in, as an advanced prosthetic limb. With the prosthesis, he could lift the heavy weights while with little effort, resulting in more efficient work performance. However, he faced prejudice from his peers and the company ended up firing him. Unable to get a job at any company due to ubiquitous idealism, he used this condition to draw public attention to worker exploitation. A very successful political career and a new identity followed. The worker became known as Little Hand. Elected as the president, president of Brazil, Little Hand was soon approached by the prosthesis manufacturer who offered him a bribe in exchange for a public policy that stimulated limb replacement. The state provided free prosthesis to unemployed workers, increasing their chances in the job market. The policy worked so well that the prejudice was inverted and people who did not have a prosthetic limb started losing job opportunities. The story ended with a Deus Ex Machina solution. Little Hand endorsed a biomechanical prosthesis, indistinguishable from natural limbs. The improvised story of Little Hand resembled that of Luiz Inácio Lula, a trade union leader who lost a finger in a work accident and was later elected president of Brazil in 2013, and for a second term in 2007. While the coas unfolded in 2016, the car wash investigation was checking if Lula accepted bribes. Instead of focusing on the worker exploitation oppression that Lula and Little Hand worked against, the, term, the team of students who picked up this story for further development decided to focus on the oppression of ableism, considering people with disabilities inferior to people without disabilities. The techno-social design script of prosthesis starts with ableism and culminates with worker exploitation. 
The technology develops linearly, while social tech changes follow. As a result of the prevailing technological determinism, there was no reaction to oppression in this script. We problematized this bias and assisted students in including some reactions to oppressions in our ad hoc instructions. After deciding on the storyline and before writing the full movie script, we asked them to create a an quick and dirty storyboard to envision the footage search requirements and realize how to tell the story using the movie format. Instead of dividing the story into sequence of technical scenes and social scenes, the students used this opportunity to synthesize changes in a coherent character if in a coherent counterfact. They managed to soften technological determinism and anticipated the camera shots they would need. After writing the script, we suggested shooting a crude version of the movie right around the classroom to try out a combination of images and speech. The students simply read the script in the front of the camera when they were supposed to perform as characters and displayed placeholder images. This suggestion enabled them to anticipate additional details for camera shot productions while also testing the movie cuts. The final movie includes live shots, modified archival images, and audiovisual design scripts. Live shots featured students acting as characters of the story, with fake names, organization positions, and appropriate costumes. The costumes were drawn from their wardrobes or borrowed from friends. In unusual camp location, camps locations framed in close-ups and illumination settings made the recording sets. The same students that collectively wrote, directed, and produced the mockumentary also acted on and off the screen. The mockumentary narrator had an essential role in producing the suspension of disbelief, modulating a specific voice intonation and adopting semi-formal language. The narrator starts the film by telling the story of Elise Valaranha, a fictional athlete who lost his leg in a car accident was the first public figure in the fictional world to use and display a prosthetic limb to continue progressing in his career as a sprinter. His story resembles the factual story of Oscar Pistorius, a South African sprinter who became famous for competing in similar conditions with athletes that did not have any disability. Inspired by Eliseu, many people with disabilities purchased advanced prostheses, and the product became cheaper and widely available. Eliseo became a symbolic figure for a social movement composed of prosthesis owners that fought against ableism. This movement eventually clashed with the humanists' movement, who claimed that people with prosthesis were outperforming normal humans, taking the jobs and running against the natural conditions devised by God. This counterfactual discourse draws arguments from the evangelical politicians who campaign against the existence of LGBTQ people in the Brazilian nation and from the fictional discourse of Little Hand in the inverted ableism situation represented in the foreign theater. The story was visually tied to the locality through visionary photomontage made from modified archival image. They were displayed late in the story when it revealed the main contract that the manufacturer of advanced prosthetic limbs originated from Curitiba. Optimus Body, the company that made advanced prosthetics into a consumer product, employed modern design and luxury marketing to impel people who did not need prosthetic limbs to consider replacing their natural limbs uh, with artificial ones. 
they rebranded prosthetics as a fashion accessory, similar to the fact that Apple rebranded digital music devices and smartphones. Some evidence of the counterfeit was needed because it was easier to believe that people would amputate a healthy limbs than believing that a company as successful as Apple would have started in Curitiba. Students then created a modified picture of a nostalgic place at the city center with a fictional company store facade. The story reached its climax when a tapped phone conversation between company representative and a medical doctor was revealed. The story presented this counterfact through an audiovisual design screen that is quite similar to the ones used to report leaked car wash recordings. In the conversation, the doctor called the representative to order a pair of crutches for a patient. Instead of answering the order, the representative persuades the doctor to amputate the limb in exchange for a bribe. After the case went public, Optimus Body fired the representative and cooperated with the court in his trial. The last camera shot features Optimus Body's director saying that the company has no relationship whatsoever with the incident. The mockumentary ends with a counterfact that Curitiba became the number one in the world in the number of prosthetic users concerning the population size, and a reflection that the conflicts stemming from the inequalities increased by the technology were far away from disappearing. The mockumentary did not develop further the public-private corruption that inverted oppression in the improvised theater story of Little Hand. Instead, they shift the story protagonist to the company that manufactured the advanced prosthetic processes. As if their marketing and design strategies have influenced the change. As for the worker exploitation and oppression, this turned into inverted ableism, in which humanists humanists claim to be depressed. The counterfact presented did not support this claim, as some employers push their employees to replace their limbs against their will. The narration does not tell that, but it is implied that many users might have been pushed into prosthetics by social pressures coming from all sides. The alternative present constructed by this mockumentary const contrasts with the bright future painted by the political campaign focused on Curitiba as an innovation hub. Innovation seems to have helped to overcome ableism at the beginning, as in Eliseu Aranha's case. However, as soon as, it, as soon as it is commodified and exploited by the regulated market, it is turned against oppressed. This operation was not straightforward for the characters, since the company marketing and public relations tried to cover up what was going on. The religious humanist group served as a counterpoint to the prosthetic enthusiasts, yet using arguments that fueled the exciting prejudice. The controversy between the interested parties supposedly motivated the mocked documentary. This controversial design fiction starkly contrasts with the one-side representation of the future that's so common in this genre. Section 7, a design fiction about the AI that displaced the president of Brazil. The design fiction project described in this section shifts the focus from alternative past to alternative futures and from the urban sphere to the national sphere. Time Prizes 2017 is a design documentary that provides a different explanation for Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff's impeachment in 2016. 
the unauthorized delegation of national affairs to a foreign artificial intelligence, an AI. It is now an accepted fact that President Rousseff was removed from office without sound evidence against her. The new president, Michel Temer, radically changed the government priorities and embarked on labor law reforms, which affected students with a less promising career. The mockumentary motivation emerged when students shared the social pressures they felt in everyday life using the motion freezer cultural probe. This cultural probe was built with ice mold and play-doh and used to collect students' social pressures along the week. The task consists of cleaning the clay in shape that better expressed the pressures felt each day. Many reported being concerned with existential time, expressed in terms as simple as time or more elaborate forms like building a future, uncertainty about the future, being fast, being old-fashioned all the time, and feeling guilty for gaming. We propose that students organize in groups to develop the interaction design project based on the pressures they share. Yet, we did not control the organized organizing. Among the groups formed in this way, one focused on capitalist time pressure. The groups had to deepen their understandings of oppression and present it as an image theater in a subsequent class. The method consists of expressing oppression using body language, simple customs, and classroom space. The audience then tried to guess which kind of oppression is that, who is oppressed and depressed, and how they interact. First image presented by the time pressure group reflect the everyday dilemma of either playing games or studying to get a future job. They notice that the same technology introduced the dilemma in their lives, the computer, a tool that can be used both for work and leisure. This dilemma's practical result was a low, low work-life balance and acute feelings when having pleasure. After the initial discussion based on the static image, the audience joined the play by replacing the actors and reacting against oppression. They tried to getting help from parents which resulted in increased pressure. They configured the computer to impose time limits on gaming, but they could not follow them since the same computer started showing games, gaming ads on websites they used for studying. After these failed reactions, they tried to gamify the profession by replacing the study diploma for a design portfolio based on points earned from delivered projects. This reaction resulted in a profound change in the design school which started acting as a liaison between students and companies. The companies provided challenges for students in exchange for a project that added points to the student portfolio. Accordingly, design education became less critical and more instrumental. Students with a higher amount of points had a better chance of getting a job after graduating, which worsened their student alienation, employability, and time pressure. The last attempt was to quit the university and opened a new company, following Silicon Valley's entrepreneurial attitude. The student attitude gradually led to an in-depth exploration of worker exploitation, including liberal capitalists and trade union perspectives. Instead of having more time, the small entrepreneur became tied to unfair contracts with larger companies that required fast and cheap work, which could, not, could only be obtained by hiring temporary employees in precarious conditions. During the sessions, as more elements of the student's handiness became into question, 
the shared understanding of operational health. The students soon realized that technology did not impose time pressure on them, as if it was an autonomous agent. The technology was just a point of contact with the social pressure that stems from the existential project of capitalists and their supporters. The problem with this existential project is that it includes the denials of workers' existential projects. Existential time, in this case, it is expression of the historical class struggle. The session did not aim at generating a new technology that is capable of overcoming oppression. Instead, we wanted to imagine a sequence of reactions from the oppressed and countermeasures from the oppressors. Students reflected that this was a big challenge. Now there is a dialogue between students and teachers. Student G. Student J. When we end up in the role of the oppressed, it gets a little difficult to get out of it. Because if we are oppressed, theoretically, we are already in a situation where we have no escape. If we knew how to escape and had several alternatives, we could find a way. But most of the situations that we find, at least in Brazil, they lead us, the people, the ordinary citizen, to be an oppressed student I, especially here in Brazil. As we saw in this last play, starting a company is dull, is tough, due to all the paperwork needed. In the United States, you can open a company in the morning and close it in the evening. We pay a lot of taxes. Our situation can be said to be much more oppressed than other countries. Student M. But in the United States, you can live on public income. The starting company, as far as I can tell, has initial funding that serves to keep you in your job. Like a program that supports an entrepreneurial culture for those who are starting an initial amount. Teacher B. It is the micro-entrepreneur theory. Even so, the bureaucracy to close a company is very complicated. Closing things in the right way. And to understand how it works. Student answers. So, my boss, he wasn't an entrepreneur. But he still needs to have employees. Here's what happens. I'm a copywriter and he works for the rich people. He needs a person to stretch his work. He could hire me, but no, he doesn't. Otherwise, he would already be a medium-sized entrepreneur, and due to that, he would have to pay more taxes. This does not fit his budget. That's why he works alone. Teacher A. Okay, that point we could discuss forever. Let's go back to the oppression that Teacher B raised. Teacher B says, We spent a moment testing things, and now we should reflect on these tests, right? This moment when we did it, we already have our life as something that we continue to prototype these reactions. And here we have the theater. But how was that experience? She, student G, really commented during it, seems that there is no way out. Is that the real feeling or not? Student I. Yes, at all times. Everybody laughs. Student I. So, we are trying to get out or trying to follow something that has already been proposed and that can work as well as not work. We walk a tightrope with a stick. Student P. Every way out you try, it ends up being a kind of oppression. That we saw in the theater. In the first two plays, I think. All the exits we tried, you talk to people and it resulted in oppression. But that thing, that of a comedy, oh no, that of a comedy is temporary. Another oppression will always appear. In this dialogue fragment, students realize that the future promised by Silicon Valley was unattainable in a condition of underdevelopment. Even with Pali Pion easy paperwork policy, 
and the latest Brazilian labor reform. By comparing the Brazilian situation against the U.S. situation, they noticed that entrepreneurial culture often hides work exploitation. Even if they could not find a way out of work exploitation oppression, they generated a design space of possible actions and reactions. Creating this design space constituted the book of the work involved in the mockumentary, which intended to communicate a historical path taken through this space. To assist them in this task, we added a new line in the Technosocial Design Script template to define their oppressive interactions. This line prevented students from framing technology as an inscrutable oppressor, as it happened in past cohorts. After defining the story actors and their fundamental relation, oppression, students started to discuss and sketch the timeline of changes they would like to cover in the, document, in the mockumentary. We also provided a template with technical changes on one side and social changes on the other side. The social changes were indeed harder for students to imagine. Some students' teams treated social changes as direct effects of technical changes, rendering a deterministic approach to interaction design. However, our ad hoc instructions provoked them to reinstate the dialectics between those two courses of change. Table 4 shows that, in this example, the social changes fueled by technical changes in strict dialectical logics, only interrupted by the presidential scandal. In time crisis, the student took some, some sequences from an, an interview with Russian comedian Mikhail Zadonov, in which he extols Stalinism and contends homosexuality. They added a translated subtitle that changes what Zadornov says in a complaint about the lack of time brought by using computers in his writings, and an endorsement of the error correction features. While doing so, they relied on the low probability that the mockumentary audience could understand spoken Russian and notice the purposeful translation infidelity. They also produced counter documents to support their narratives. When describing the scandal that afflicted ISNFs during the presidential elections, disputed against Dilma Rousseff, the mockumentary features a screenshot of a fake Gmail account of ISNFs writing to his party fellow that even he does not believe in his nationwide citizen secretary service. This counterfact draws from the fact that the previous president of the Chamber of Deputies, Eduardo Cunha, was overthrown and imprisoned due to corruption charges based on proofs collected from a secret Gmail account in 2016. Dilma Rousseff was also involved in a scandal involving Gmail in 2014 when she discovered through Edward Snowden's public leak that the NSA was spying on her. After that, she stopped using Gmail and pushed the National Development of Secure Open Source Systems for official communication. The intervention of the U.S. in Brazilian politics was part of the climax of time crisis. In the story, Dilma Rousseff won the elections due to her digital, digital secretary service proposal, which she implemented soon after her second term started. At a certain point, she saw herself overworked and having trouble with manage, managing time. Similarly to the Jimmy fact, Rousseff succumbed succumbed to U.S. technology and adopted the AI in her office without letting anyone know. The counterfact came to the public through an WhatsApp audio message leaked in the World of Warcraft game, 
followed by rumors that AI was running the country. The repercussions of these counterfacts led the Brazilian population to flood the streets against the president and its assistant, which annoyed the population individually. The protest became known as the user strike since it involved a 24-hour total boycott of computer users. In parallel, the National Congress investigation found enough proof that the assistant was manipulating Rousseff to favor the U.S. somehow. The assistant decided on behalf of Rousseff to run over the budget law, following the decision pattern of former presidents. This automated decision, together with the new fiscal responsibility law ruled by the Congress, generated the White Coop's legal foundation. The alternative present contained many counterfacts that are similar to facts announced by the press. However, they presented quantitative differences like exaggeration and qualitative differences like irony that produce a humorous contrast to reality's sadness. For example, in the mockumentary, after replacing Dilma Rousseff, Michel Temer did not ban the personal system, but changed it to implement labor reform. Some counterfacts from this story turned out to be similar to the facts revealed after the mockumentary production such as the vital role played by labor reformists in the political articulation behind the coup, the active involvement of FBI agents in the car wash corruption investigations that contributed to the impeachment of Rousseff, the crucial role of WhatsApp audio message leaks in raising the public opinion against the politicians targeted by the car wash, car wash investigation, and the role of street protests in shaping the public opinion. The students behind Time Crisis started from an individual pressure felt among the class and ended up in the recent yet already historical pressure felt by an entire nation, digital colonization, or, in a different formulation, data colonialism. The technological dependence enables capturing user data in influence and influencing consumer and voter behavior in underdeveloped nations. While focusing on a particular technology, the digital secretary movie drew attention to how individual actions mediated by scalable technology can change the course of a nation's history. Design did not determine these actions. They emerged as responses to the conflicts and dilemmas faced in everyday politics and official politics. Instead of devising a utopian solution to time management, they criticized the technology and highlight the importance of political action to overcome systemic problems such as the user strike. Instead of learning how to produce good interaction design according to foreign standards, they learned to be conscious designers who share their history-making privilege to avoid oppression in the nation. In other words, they learned to handle existential time more responsibly. In the final course evaluation dialogue, we asked all the students to share their thoughts on dealing with oppression. Their responses suggest they developed a different understanding of their profession. Another dialogue with students and teachers. Student I says, well, it was really hard and very, very disappointing. You never get out of oppression, yet it is cool. I really enjoyed the semester because we stopped to reflect a lot on things that we, don't, we didn't even think to be oppressions. The oppressed, the oppressive technology and everything else. But knowing that we will never be able to leave oppression relations in a moment when we are in audible conversation. Student G says, I was talking to a colleague yesterday and we came to the conclusion that all oppression starts from capitalism. Ha ha ha! Lots. Student L 
jokingly says, Welcome to the club, student G.J. And there's no way to change that. There's no way, dude. Activities remain oppressed in the digital media. Student I, I wonder if it's possible for humanity to be able to create, to speculate on these things and create alternatives because society comes from this process of creating alternatives all the times. Why haven't we created an alternative yet? Teacher B, right. Student I, I think about the reflection on what we are experiencing. Other courses try to bring this reflection to us, but in that regard, this course, for me at least, was one of the best to understand what we are creating, what we are experiencing. As can be seen from this dialogue fragment, the course was probably successful in demystifying technological solutionism folly and the unfulfilled promise of charismatic technologies from developed nations. Instead of hoping for a technological fix for societal problems, students develop their handiness and learn that society must change together with their technologies to overcome oppression. Section 8. Discussion The design fiction projects described above dealt with existential time in different ways. While Prostasis, the next level, imagined Curitiba City as a central stage for cutting-edge and ethically questionable technological development, Time Crisis denounced a foreign intervention in Brazilian politics. Both fictions challenged the imperialist domestication of the future, eschewing the historical denial of the underdeveloped historicity. In addition to underdevelopment, the film dealt with other kinds of oppression. The first dealt with ableism and homophobia, while the second featured worker exploitation and digital colonialism. Dealing with oppression in this way has some limitations. A. Fueling the dream of the oppressed to become the oppressor, or the student wishing to become a hero or a villain. B. Nurturing the fatalism that is never possible to overcome the oppression, or the student becoming hopeless or apathetic. C. Ignoring order oppression relations that are historically intertwined, or the student considering only one perspective over the conflict. And D. Underestimating the effects of the domestication of the future in oppressed historicity, or the student thinking to be possible to manipulate existential time at will. Despite all the efforts we made to liberate historicity, we recognize that stories were still influenced by the domestication of the future, especially in the narrative construction. The projection of the future as a repetition of the past appeared in some scenes. Also, there were quite some important technologies that worked according to their original designs. The absence of local utopias is an alarming evidence of the impact of colonization and imperialism in the imagination of the young generations and designers in undeveloped nations. Students had a hard time imagining how to overcome these oppressions through social change, but at least they did not fall prey to alienated and important techno-fixes while handling existential time. In previous works, we identified how large companies' design fiction promoted the domestication of the future by hiding contradictions under special effects. In our classes, we reenacted this criticism so that students could look through the shiny interfaces. Even after our students managed to produce this kind of criticism, they could not easily create fictions that did not reproduce similar tropes. 
If we demanded that students create design fiction focused on the faces with a similar aesthetic to the videos that they found in cinema or advertising, the domestication of the future would have been even more prevalent as it happened in the hypermedia course. The use of improvised video to grasp the interaction language and understand its social meaning was key to avoid technological determinism. It is remarkable how the students realized they knew more about their local histories than they thought by using this language and how they proposed speculations that interfered with their present handiness remaining on the ground while speculating about the past and the future. Based on their works and dialogues we have with them, we can say that our students are better prepared to handle existential time in their future positions either in commercial or non-commercial design projects. Most interaction design education inspired by speculative design focuses on the no-commercial, a reality we could not afford given the significantly lower opportunities for working with non-commercial art and science in our nation. Our responsible attitude to temporarily requires considering multiple costs of time and localized values, intentions and implications, including the commercial ones. We believe this capacity, this capability of dealing with commercial and non-commercial interests is essential to perform the deliberatively practitioner's role in underdeveloped interaction design. Speaking of artifacts, the design mockumentary stood out as a viable alternative to design mockups in deliberating about the future of everyday life and dealing responsibly with existential time. The design mockup was initially introduced in participatory design to enable users and designers to enact a future use situation as if the technology in use is already available at the present. It is now a central artifact for interaction design students to explore use qualities and learn dealing with digital materials. Like many other artifacts employed in interaction design, the mock-up focuses too much on conjecture and little on conjuncture, leaving the designer for the most alienated from his historicity and possibilities of making history with what is available now. The shift from mockups to mockumentaries suggested by this research is not a matter of preference. It is a more about developing student handiness to include historicity as a material quality, something that can also be achieved through other artifacts and approaches. In any case, design mockumentaries prove to be a simple way to broaden traction design education scope to include the typical social technical controversies of science technology studies. Recognizing multiple voices, diverse societies, and various technologies was key to hold these debates. In the debates, technology development was depicted as a result of historical disputes for existence among the various social groups. The dissemination of new technologies generates reactions, resistance, adoption, and rejection. Students could realize in practice that the technologies and the future they represent are never universal. They are historically bound to specific handiness. Learning to handle existential time through multi-sided debates proved to be a curious and fun way to rediscover the historicity denied by the domestication of the future. Many personal stories emerged, allowing us to discuss various relationships between design and culture. For example, the techno-social script provoked students to think about qualitative changes in interactions over the decades, such as the historical transformations 
that affected the various social groups featured. In this sense, we could say that conjunctural artifacts were a valuable resource for producing an aesthetic of the oppressed for speculative design. Works like this use their resources available in their underdeveloped reality to rethink that same reality. In our case, the resources were the students' bodies, except from videos found online, simple editions, post-productions without special effects, and techniques accessible to the student with a cheap smartphone camera. Reproducing mock-ups, reproducing mockumentaries aesthetics from cutouts, DIY, and improvised shoots was easily for us precisely because documentaries already use this kind of material. The design documentary alone cannot lead to the reflection of the existential time and the critical issues that we have pointed throughout the paper. For example, we have several works not described here, which used mockumentary language and approached speculative design in absolute time. The other conjunctural artifacts were developed precisely because we needed to look for ways to work the existential time together with the narrative in conflicts, in temporal changes, decades, and linear unfoldings of non-linear events. Nevertheless, the primary linear learning opportunities were created by reflective dialogues between teachers and students, as shown by the debriefing, debriefing conversation fragments. We think that conjunctural artifacts are different from counterfactual history and counterfactual scripts because they keep the possible and the actual close together. While conjecturing about the past or the future, these approaches eventually disjunct the possible from the actual, exploring divergent histories that do not change the status quo. Conjunctural artifacts preserve the dialectics between the possible and the real when speculating what would have happened if a past or future existential project had continued to develop any further to what was possible back and forth then, the handiness relationship. While keeping the speculation grounded on local handiness, students developed fictionalization as much as conscientization of their reality. Conscientization increased the chances of overcoming oppression by intervening in its material conditions and historical underpinnings. Instead of becoming more conscious of the existence of future artifacts, like in material speculation, students became more conscious of oppressed groups' existential of oppressed groups' existence throughout history, an essential contribution of existential time. We could have brought existential time to interaction design via the existential perspective over HCI emphasizing individual and subjective relationship to technology. By doing so, we would have extended the previous definition of existential time as subjective temporality experienced in everyday life through objects that represent something more significant than absolute time, the past, present, and future of a person's or of a community's life. We prefer to take a dialectical existential perspective over time because we thought this would make more sense in our condition of underdevelopment. In this condition, indirection design contributes mostly to deny the local collective existential projects. To change this unequal relationship, we had to develop a concept that would be useful not just to study users in everyday life, 
but also to study designers, given that both produce their existence through and through time, eventually one at the expense of the other. The concept of existential time stimulates designers to understand collective existential to understand collective existential projects through a dialectical relationship that considers both quantitative and qualitative changes. We believe that the dialectical existential perspective over interaction design, formulated in the condition of underdevelopment, can also shed light on human-computer interaction for development (HCI4D). Samba Sivan et al., for example, recommended that HCI researchers question the notion of development based on social metric indication indicators that do not correspond to underdeveloped nations handed as degreed and the thought that do not contribute to their existential projects. Vieira Pinto goes beyond this criticism and challenges traditional notions of development. Underdevelopment does not present itself as a limitation, but as an indication of developmental potential and relative freedom. By facing the condition of underdevelopment, this research adds to HCI4D, speculative design, and interaction design, an outline of the strategy of the domestication of the feature which denies the developed potential. To counter this strategy, underdeveloped interaction design should approach developing technologies with an anthropophagic spirit, having as much as appetite for human pasts as for human futures. One must start from its handiness even if underdeveloped, in order to transform it. Rather than waiting for ideal conditions to speculate about the future, we can develop these underdeveloped futures which already exist. Within, within these possibilities, we have emphasized qualitative changes in both society and technology for futures that are radically different from the presents. In underdeveloped nations like those of Latin America, the ghosts of colonization and exploitation haunt existential time and evade radical futures. Cities and oppressed reality. Transforming this reality requires facing the underdeveloped oppression. Should the domestication of the future be contained, the underdeveloped reality opens up to diverse cultural forms of development, and consequently, pluriversal futures and even pluriversal politics. From a dialectical existential perspective, the condition of underdevelopment is more advanced than the condition of development, because it is still open to many historical paths. In our case, this condition of underdevelopment, once recognized and discussed with students, stimulate them to participate in the deliberation of everyday politics, including the discussion about existential threats offered by oppressive technologies. While experimenting with this Designedly deliberation, they realize how difficult and liberating it is to deal with collective existential projects, denial and oppression. Beyond that, they understood that everyday politics shapes and is shaped by traditional politics. Similarly to what political scientist Chantal Mouffe has found about the relationship between politics and the political. Section 9. Final Remarks We have conducted a series of design experiments 
in a studio to teach and localize interaction design in Brazil while countering the domestication of the future strategy associated with imperialism and colonialism. As explained and exemplified, this strategy denies the underdeveloped people's historicity as if they could not develop their futures and needed to import them from other nations. Countering this strategy cannot be achieved solely by creating alternative pasts, presents, or futures. It is necessary to raise the consciousness of the oppressed historicity to handle existential time, the time in which their existence is at stake. The design experiments found that grounding design fiction on student handness, the historical material related to the world, helps to dismantle the domestication of the future. When developing a specific handness, the technology of the past becomes the foundation for the technology of the future, instead of constructing it from the technology of nowhere. Students speculated about a historical path that begins with a detour in the local past and extends toward the local future, enabling them to realize their role in making history. These speculations about the past, these speculations about past and future stand as a demonstration of development's potential in the present. In this way, underdeveloped design fiction is not just a narrative that describes technologies of the future. They are in themselves technologies in the present that interfere in the relationship between different social groups. The present research adds further evidence that speculative design in underdeveloped nations should not use the same approaches, methods, and artifacts of the developed nation. Our emphasis on starting from the student's handness allows students to deliberate, to liberate historicity that includes their perception of the world, not only individually, but also collectively. They realize that speculative design and interaction design could contribute to or hamper collective existential projects like the nation. Trained to become deliberative, deliberative practitioners, they learn to consider multiple social groups, conflicting perspectives, diverse technologies, alternative histories, branch development, and the political aspect of everyday life. The positive affirmation of our condition of underdevelopment led to the creation of diverse conjunctural artifacts. This plurality, plurality of resources created indicates the creative potential of considering historicity as a material quality while handling existential time. Together with the other conjunctural artifacts used, the design documentary proved to be interesting to counter the impulse for creating extraordinary technologies disconnected from handness. These artifacts can be used in other design fiction projects not necessarily following the same order or intent we have from our handness. We suggest future studies to improve or to create new conjunctural artifacts to handle existential time by bringing this concept of existential time to test in other praxis beyond the educational. The interpretation of existential time presented in this article is still initial and we re recommend new readings of the concept in HCI, interaction design and speculative design. We believe that the theoretical framework used here, based on the ideas of Alvaro Vida Pinto, can contribute to politicizing post-phenomenology, problematizing digital work, and decolonizing ontological design.
discussions that stem from, in some way or another, the work of Martin Heidegger. Vieira Pinto emphasized the need to critically scrutinize the work of Heidegger, which contains elitistic, elitistic and colonial biases against the distribution of technology over the world. The critical view of existentialism can be further extended by Latin American studies of oppression, such as the ones conducted by Paulo Freire and Augusto Ball. In their schools of thought, existential time is not just something that should be taken into account by design as a dimension to be anticipated or imagined. It is something, something that design is already producing and, from an ethical stance, should be produced more consciously and locally grounded to liberate the oppressed historicity. Acknowledgements. We would like to thank the digital design students who contributed to this design research program at Pontifical Catholic University of Paraná, and who graciously authorized the publication of this account, including their designs. We are also grateful to Roberto Pereira, Mateus Pelanda, Luis Ernesto Merkley, and three anonymous reviewers for their insightful comments on earlier drafts of this article.